Good morning to everybody. Am I on? Yeah, I'm on. All right, there we go. I can't hear myself, which is probably a good thing. So good morning to everybody. We're so glad you guys are here today. And it is 4th of July, and I hope you guys are excited. Uh, after today's service, uh, we have free uh, hot dogs and sausages and stuff out there. There's a bounce house for the kids. There may or may not be popsicles. We don't know if they're going to show up. But if, they're, if they do, there's free Still City Pops out there as well. And so make sure, even if you can only stay for a second, we have so much food. Make sure and grab it on the way out. And we're so glad to see you guys. Uh, if you're online, we're glad you're here too. No sausages for you, but that's okay. And so um, we're glad you're watching. And so uh, 4th of July, a couple of announcements, uh, really kind of just things going on. Uh, we heard news this week that Nathan and Jesse, everything is going well over there. Uh, if you don't know, our normal worship pastor, uh, he is adopting another child in Malawi. And they are, everything seems to be going well and hopefully be uh, returning home soon. And so uh, we'll keep you updated on that as we hear more about that. But that's coming up. Uh, also, tomorrow morning, me and uh, Rusty are leaving for Guatemala uh, for the week, and so we'll be back at the end of the week. We're reestablishing one of our mission partners down there. Uh, COVID messed up everything, and especially in a third world country, you can imagine how much it's messed up down there. So we're going back down there uh, to reestablish our partnership in Guatemala, and we're going to have some footage. I know several of you, if you don't know, we have a partnership in Guatemala. We've actually sponsored a whole village of kids, and so a lot of you guys are sponsoring those kids. And there's been a lot of communication issues, obviously, because of COVID. But we're going to film a lot of stuff when we're down there and hopefully come back and show you guys and give you guys updates of everything going on in Guatemala. So that's coming up. Lots of other stuff. If you're new, we're glad you're here. Stop on the way out to the Welcome Center. We have a free gift for you. Download the app. It's the best way to stay connected of everything that's going on, including service changes and all the stuff coming up. And so just make sure and download if you haven't. It's completely free. So 4th of July, and I want to start by saying I love our country. I love the freedoms that we have. Um, I love to leave our country and go see other places. I'm more grateful when I get to come back and be back here. And I'm so grateful for what we've been handed as citizens of this country and all the freedoms that we have, the liberties that we have, and all of the men and women who have provided those things um, throughout our history. But being where it is, um, I also have some concerns as we move forward. And these are probably concerns that a lot of you guys share, and some of you maybe disagree with me, and that's okay. Um, but we do have some concerns about kind of what's going on. And I don't ever talk politics. There won't be any political talk today either. But some concerns with kind of the culture and the nature of where we are headed as a country. Now, little known fact that most of you guys probably don't know about me. I think I've mentioned it before. If I didn't do what I'm doing here, this... Uh, the other thing that I was looking at becoming was an American history uh, professor. And so American history is one of my favorite things to study. When I was growing up, uh, we went to beaches, which really meant we went to forts, because uh, all the forts are near beaches. So we'd be like, my dad's like, we're going on a trip to the beach. Yeah, we'd spend like three days at the beach and like four days at forts. And so I've been to almost all of the major American uh, revolution and civil war. And when I was a kid, I didn't appreciate it. I much appreciate the history uh, I've learned now. But um, so as American and someone that studied our history and very invested in kind of understanding it. Um, most of you guys know there's some pretty important documents that were created when um, our country kind of came into existence. Uh, you're familiar, hopefully, with them. Um, it will be surprising how many people have never read these. Um, but first one is the Declaration of Independence. Second one is the Constitution of the United States of America. And then the Bill of Rights. Now, the Bill of Rights is actually in the Constitution, but it actually became a separate document on its own. Now, the Bill of Rights is really important because what it does is it guarantees our rights as individuals and as citizens. And one of the things we have to understand is that most countries in the world, especially then and even still today, do not have a lot of the personal and individual rights and freedoms that we have. 
Now, what we often do, and this is where the concern comes in, is we often take these things for granted. We often assume these rights and these freedoms without thinking about what they mean. And oftentimes, you'll hear people in rants or on Facebook or politicians will quote from them without knowing a lot of the original intent of some of these statements and ideas. But as citizens, I do think it's important that we're familiar with these documents and understand these. And today, I'm going to focus specifically on the Bill of Rights. Now, in the Bill of Rights, there are kind of these things, and if you want to look it up later, you can. I'm going to give you the, the kind of the cliff notes of it because there's a lot of language that we just don't use today. But some of the more popular ones that we're familiar with is we have the right to free speech. And we love that one, don't we? Now, we don't have to know anything about what we're talking about, okay? All right, isn't it great to be an American? But we have the right to say it, even if it's complete nonsense, right? We have the right to say it. It doesn't matter, okay? Uh, we have the freedom of press. We have the freedom of assembly. We can gather together here. We don't have to have government's permission to do that. And there's places in this world that do not have that freedom that we have. We have the freedom to bear arms. We have the right to due process. We have the freedom of religion. We have the right to a jury trial. We are free from search and seizure. We are free from cruel and unusual punishment, which I don't understand because we still have the Kardashians. But for most of us, <laughs> it really means you can't be tortured, uh, which some would argue, right? Uh, we also are free from having to quarter soldiers, which we don't think about that. Like, this is nothing something that I've ever thought about would someday have to quarter soldiers. Um, but if you understand American history, and especially the American Revolution, uh, this was not always the, the freedom that they had, and they were forced to do this. Now, that one right there, and there's more, like I said, these are kind of just the cliff notes, um, is one that really brings up an important point for, I think, where we are. The Bill of Rights, when you read it, and even the Constitution and Declaration of Independence, for, in some ways, it's dated, okay, because they lived in a certain time or writing in certain ideas and ideologies and this type of thing. And so when we look at these things, we often have to ask the question, what would we say if we were writing these things today? Now, the guys that wrote these documents were actually incredibly smart. We often think that we're the smartest because we're further along, but that's not necessarily true. These guys were very intelligent men, and they wrote some very important things. And one of the things that they did when they wrote the Bill of Rights, especially the Constitution, is they came up with these ideas that some point in time, these things may need to be adjusted because cultures may change, the country may change. And so they came up with one very important amendment that not a lot of people really understand because they haven't had to use it very often, but it's called the Ninth Amendment. And the Ninth Amendment uses this interesting language, and essentially the Ninth Amendment is like the catch-all amendment. And essentially what it is, is this idea that they understood that there's other rights that they may not be talking about that U.S. citizens should have, and, and so they write in this Ninth Amendment with the idea that if these other ideas and these other rights come along, that these things can be amended. It's often referred to as the catch-all amendment. Now, the actual amendment says this, the enumeration and the constitution of the certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Again, language we don't use. But essentially what it means is that they understood that all of the rights that we should have were not listed in the constitution. They were not listed in the Bill of Rights, and that there may be other rights that go beyond the ones that they listed when they wrote these documents. Now, if we were to rewrite the Ninth Amendment in our language that we understand, here's what we would be tempted to say. The Ninth Amendment would look like this, that we have the right to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want. That's how we would change the language. Because that's how we think as American. I'm an American. I can do what I want. I have the right. I live in a free country. And the Ninth Amendment gives me other amendments and other rights that aren't mentioned specifically in the other documents. Now, Here's the problem with where we are, and here's where we're going today. 
If you give someone rights and freedoms, but you don't couple those rights and freedoms with responsibility, things go horribly wrong. So you can give rights and you can give freedoms, but if you don't couple those things with the idea of responsibility for those things and what we do with those things, it can go horribly wrong. In other words, individual rights must be coupled with individual responsibility or things are always going to go bad. Now, the original writers of the Constitution, you can study this, and they wrote lots of stuff. I mean, we see these documents. You should really study some of the letters that they wrote to each other, to their wives. In fact, some of those fascinating letters are the letters that John Adams and John Quincy Adams and Thomas Jefferson and, and Washington himself and even uh, Benjamin Franklin one married, but some of the letters he wrote to his friends. I mean, these are fascinating documents of letters of personal feelings that they had as the country was being developed, and you should read these things. They're fascinating. And they wrote so much stuff beyond what we see in our history books. Now, the original authors of the Bill of Rights, they understood this, right? And see, every parent understands this, right? You understand this. You give your kids rights and freedoms until they abuse those rights and freedoms, and then we remove those rights and freedoms, right? Because they have to be responsible with those rights and freedoms. Anybody ever had their door taken off of their room, right? Okay. You ever been tempted to do that with your kids? All right. So that's the idea. Now, they understood this. But the other thing they understood is the original authors, the, 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 the forefathers of our nation, um, they lived with certain understandings. And certain understandings and assumptions they made were that when they write this, that there would be moral guardrails that would provide guide for personal responsibility. They believe that these freedoms and these liberties and these rights would always be coupled with some type of moral guardrails that would provide for personal responsibility. They assumed that there would be moral ethical guardrails that everybody understood. And in their day and age, there were. Okay, and you got to think about this. They had just come through the Revolutionary War. They had just been standing up for each other and fighting against tyranny. They were no longer English or British. They were no longer French. They were Americans. And they had to stand up and fight for each other to have the freedoms and the rights that they had. And they believed that because they understood the cost of those freedoms and rights, that there was a responsibility, there was kind of a conscience, a consensus of the nation. Now, now we, we don't often understand that, but simply put, people generally believed the same things were right and wrong. Now, one of the great misunderstandings is all of our forefathers were Christians, and they weren't. But most of them understood some of a moral code or some divine responsibility. And so they believed as a nation that there were these things that were guiding us, which leads to the second thing they assumed. They always assumed that there was some divine accountability in the United States. They believed there was a sense that God had ordained the country. They believed that there was this sense that, that God had overseen what was happening. And because God had ordained it and overseen it, there was an accountability to God for what they'd been given that their rights and freedoms came with this responsibility. The other thing that we often see in the documents, and you can read these for yourself, but is this, is there was almost this sense that the individual rights were always expressed with concern for other people, which means this. Yes, they're your individual rights, but they're also their individual rights. And so we have to live with this kind of understanding and guideline that, yes, this is my freedom, but it's also my neighbor's freedom. And so we have to live within this conscious and responsibility of understanding that my rights do affect other people's rights and freedoms and liberties. Now, do we don't have that sense as much anymore, do we? What we believe in is this is my right, and it doesn't matter how it impacts you, because it's my right. 
It's my freedom. It doesn't matter how it impacts my community or my school or my neighbors, the people I work with. This is my right. Now, if you take that position, and you're free to, remember freedom of speech, even if you're dumb, okay, is this, okay? This is not the intent of the original writings of the forefathers. This is not what they imagined for this to become. Now, during the time of the writing of both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, there was this language that keeps popping up. And the language is this, and I used it a couple months ago in a sermon, and I put it up on the screen, and we read it. We said, does anybody know where this document came from? And like one person did, okay? So we're going to do it again. This comes from the Declaration of Independence, which is an important document. It's the preamble to the actual declaration, and here's what it says, all right? We hold these truths to be self-evident. So what that means is these are like obvious, that these are obvious things that people should believe and understand. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. See, there's that idea that they were held to some type of moral code of divine responsibility. Whether it was the Christian God or not, they believed there was some type of divine responsibility by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these light, that life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now it goes on. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from consent of the governed. That whenever a form of government becomes destructive of its end, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. Which is interesting, right? So we're like, yes, we should. And to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now, that is a loaded statement, isn't it, that our forefathers gave us? Now, I want to focus on a couple ideas at the beginning, though. We hold these truths to be self-evident. These are just assumed. And one of the assumptions is that we are endowed by our Creator with these certain inalienable rights. So, here's the, here's the idea. Here, follow the pattern, the logic. The reason we have the rights and freedoms that we have is not because the government gives us those rights and freedoms. It's because God gives us those rights and freedoms. And this is their understanding. It wasn't the government that did this. It was the assumed connection between God and rights and freedom. That God, not government, was the one that bestowed upon American citizens, and not just us. These were rights that were supposed to be for everyone, which means this, that as people... I say we the people, so we the people are accountable, and we should be held responsible for the rights and freedoms that we've been given. We've been given these gifts. Now, John Adams, and I like to use John Adams because John Adams was against slavery, and I don't care what your feelings are about it. Slavery was the huge black eye in our American history. It just is. It was terrible. It was horrible. And John Adams was one of the few that were against slaves, and as far as we know, never actually owned a slave. Now, he was also the second president, and he was the vice president of George Washington, and he wrote so much stuff. John Adams' stuff is so fascinating. There's a great show that came out years ago on HBO um, called John Adams, and you, sh- you should watch it. It's really good if you, if you have HBO. If you don't, I'm sorry I mentioned it. So anyway, but he says this. He says this quote, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Which means, in his opinion, this is John Adams, email him, that if there is no moral and religious understanding of divine responsibility of people, then the government itself and the freedoms that we've been given don't actually work, that it fails. And if we don't understand this sense of divine accountability, the grand experiment, which is what America is, by the way, 
of personal freedom will actually fail. The experiment in freedom will fail if simply given people only worry about their individual rights without accountability and responsibility of the effects of those individual rights. Because what happens is this. Eventually, my rights compete with your rights. And who wins? So what had to happen was suddenly our government had to create laws. And the reason they had to create laws was because they had to address, and still are, every single possible eventuality. You didn't know you were coming to American history class, did you? So every single possible eventuality has to be discussed, right? And they had to come up with laws to cover every single eventuality, right? That's why there's laws. Because the government knows, and you can disagree with this, but it's true, the government or leaders, and this is throughout human history, understand what you would do if you were completely free. And so there has to be laws to keep us within these rights and responsibilities. For example, there's things called like the FDA, right? All right, the Federal Drug Administration. Now, now here's the thing. They regulate the things that we eat and are allowed to put into our bodies. And you're like, well, that's absurd that some government would make some organization that would go govern what we put in our bodies. Okay, okay, well, think about this. See, they believe, even though you may think it's absurd, that there are people who would make decisions about food and other things that we put in our bodies not concerned about our risk of health, but only about making more money. And that's absurd, isn't it? Right? Of course not. And so they had to create these organizations because at the end of the day, who would take shortcuts to make more money? Go ahead and everybody just raise your hand right now. All right? Then on top of that, there's other things. I mean, there's crazy things. Like we have entire institutions that work on banking regulations because, okay, we can't trust bankers with our money they're just like us. And so there's institutions that monitor how banks are being spending the money and making sure that their money isn't being embezzled and misappropriated or misused, right? This is the why some of these things exist, is because if we were completely free, they know what we would do. And here's the thing, don't say they anymore, we know what we would do with our freedom. Because American citizens are constantly looking for loopholes, workarounds, Ways to cheat without obligation and moral responsibility to our freedom. So there are laws. And some laws are dumb, right? I get it. Some laws are dumb. You ever been out at like 1 a.m. and you come up to a stoplight and it's red? And it was just green, but it turned red, but there's nobody coming. And you're like, why did this light just turn red for me? You ever done that? 1 a.m., you look to your right, look to your left, look straight ahead. There's nobody. What do you do? You start to roll forward a little bit. Look around, make sure there's not some cop looking somewhere. You roll forward a little bit more. By the time you make your decision, you're halfway through the intersection. And at that point, you're like, well, I'm being a danger to everybody, even though there's nobody. So you just run the red light, right? Okay? It's stupid, but it's a law. And you know the reason there is that reason, that rule, we have to stop at a red light? Because eventually you'll find yourself in a circumstance where there are other people around. And we have to have these guidelines to help us with these freedoms and responsibilities. They guide us so that when other people are around with individual rights and freedoms as well, they're not affected by our individual rights and freedoms. Now, there's a problem with the law. The law, for the most part, represents the minimum requirement, doesn't it? The law answers the question, how low can I go, right? Every man and woman in here, here's the question you ask every single time you get into your car. How fast can I go without getting pulled over, right? You do that? Yeah, we all do it. 
How fast can I go? Where is the line? Where is the limit? And what happens when there's only law and no sense of accountability or divine accountability or personal or national or corporate, there's, no, there's all these rights with no guide for responsibility, we go as low as we possibly can, don't we? Because after all, we want to know where the line is. How far can I push this without being arrested? How far can I go? How flexible are those laws? How flexible are those standards? How far can I push this before it becomes a problem? So here's the problem with the law, and this is why we are where we are today. If we're only responsible and accountable to the law, as many of us think, here's the problem. The law is powerless to inspire greatness, isn't it? Powerless. Because the only question we ask when it comes to the law is not how great can we be as individuals in a nation. The question we ask is how low can we go before you're going to hold me responsible? And as a result, here we are. We have individual rights regulated by law, individual rights free to do whatever you want, say what you want, sleep with whoever you want, run around with whoever you want, do what you want, with no sense of accountability or responsibility to each other, to God, and more importantly, to John Adams' point, to the actual freedoms that you've been given. Aren't you glad you came to church? But there is an alternative, and this is why we are so important. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote letters that became part of the New Testament. Now, these were valuable documents. These were not books. We refer to them as books, but they weren't books. They were letters written to congregations and gatherings, assemblies of people who were wanting to follow the way of Jesus. And they're ancient, but they were preserved because they were so valuable, and there was this belief that these words spoke into future generations. Now, in one particular letter, and this is a fascinating letter, to a church in Galatia, a Roman people, so they're Greek thinking, they're Gentiles, which is what most of us are in this room, I'm assuming, or watching online. And so he's writing to Gentiles, and they're finding themselves in the same problem that we as a nation find ourselves in, and this is this. All of a sudden, they now find themselves free in Christ, and there's confusion as to what they're supposed to do with these rights and freedoms and their responsibility to these things. So there's confusion about it. And Paul is trying to help guide them to understand, and this is an important word, of how to steward the freedom they've been given. And as Christians, this is so important, how we respond to the freedoms that we've been given. That there is a connection, kind of its understanding of what we've been given and what we do with it. Now, here's what you have to understand, because this is where it's going to turn a little bit. Okay, I said all of that about America, and I love America, but it is a problem. Okay, And, and here's the thing. I can't control what anybody else does. It doesn't do me any good to get online and rant or rave about what other people are doing or politicians that don't agree with me are doing. It doesn't do me any good because I can't control. Listen, you can't control what anybody else does. The only person that you have control of in this entire world is you. And so Paul is writing to a group of people, and he's trying to get them to understand this responsibility that's been given to them as individuals, but this individual responsibility also affects others. But for now, he's going to focus on us, and here's what he says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, which, like, of course, it's for freedom that Christ has set us Thanks, Paul. Okay, but here's what he wants to say. He says this, stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So here's what he tells us. Okay, let's leave that up there. He's saying, see, here's what happens. A lot of us realize we've been given freedom. And we, we, we understand that in, in kind of. But what happens is, what happens is we take that freedom and we start doing things 
And there's consequences before, because of those things that actually work against our freedom. Does that make sense? And so what he's saying is you're free, but you keep making choices that actually are enslaving you. And so what happens is you can say that you're free. You can feel that you're free. I'm not talking about America. I'm talking about us as people now, as individuals. We can feel like we're free, but we're actually doing more things to put us in more slavery than before we were actually free. Does that make sense? And what happens is, and here's the thing, you come in and you say you're free, but some of you are carrying some chains, aren't you? And we can hear them coming. And so there's all these things that we've been dragged down by. And so we want to say we're free. We want to act like we're free, but we're not actually free. And what Paul is saying is, listen, you have been set free. This is what Christ came to do. And so stand firm in it. Listen, there is nothing more valuable in the world than freedom. And this is what we've been called to. And I'm not just talking about as our country, I'm talking about as individuals. There's no wealth, no power, no frame, no pleasure on this planet that's worth giving up your freedom. And so he continues and goes a little bit down. He says this, he says in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, which is us, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Now, what he's talking about is this. Um, what we do is we want to know, and it goes back to the idea we just talked about as a country, is we want to know what we can get away with. How low can I go? What can I do without crossing the line? Is there a law against it? Is there a commandment against it? Is there something in the Bible against it? We want to know that. Again, that does not inspire greatness. And so he's going to give us an alternative. He's going to say, listen, we think the Bible is all about what you don't do, but he's going to give us something to do. And here's the idea. If you're willing to do this, it's going to consume so much of your time, you're not going to have time to worry about what you don't get to do. He says this, and this is so powerful, and you already know it if you think about it. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The law does not inspire greatness, but this does. The law will not force you to serve another person. The law will simply draw a line on how selfish can you be. And Paul says, that is not what we've been called to. We've been called to something else. Listen, okay, listen, you have a right not to. You don't have to do this. It's your freedom. But you have the opportunity to. You have the opportunity every single day to wake up with the mentality that I've been set free, but I'm not going to use that freedom just for myself to get myself in more trouble. I don't want to become a slave again. I don't want to go back to what it was before. And so he gives us this idea. It's one of the oldest ideas in the Bible. Although we think it's a New Testament idea, it's not a New Testament idea. It actually comes out of Leviticus. And what he says, you have to leverage the most important thing if you're going to do this. And he says this in verse 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Now, for some of you guys, if you haven't been keeping up, okay, there's a lot of laws. A lot of them. Every single one of you in this room have broken a law in the last 20 minutes. I can guarantee it. You may not think you have, but you have. Every single law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so as American citizens, we get the opportunity every single morning when we wake up, when you can say whatever you want, when you can do whatever you want, when you can assemble wherever you want, use your money any way you want, because you're free. And you have the choice of what you're going to do with that. And what Paul's asking us to do is to leverage your freedom, to love your neighbor, 
as much as you can. And this is why this is so brilliant and why this applies to everything I talked about him before. Do you know that if everybody did this, if everybody woke up with the mentality of how free we actually are, not only in this country, but also because of what Jesus has done for us in this life, if we woke up every day and we leveraged that freedom for others, there would be almost no need for any laws. Because when you look at a nation and you create a late nation that asks the question, how good of a neighbor can I actually be? All the detail, all the fine print, all of it becomes irrelevant. Because we're a nation of people, we are a body of people that have concern for what we do and how it affects the people around us. And we understand that we've been set free, but they've been also set free. And we also understand there's some people that haven't been set free. And because of our freedom and rights and responsibilities and everything that we've been given, we should work to help them become free. Because whenever you leverage your freedom for the sake of other people, the world becomes a better place. And the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, he looks into the future and he sees 21st century American church and he says this. But if you don't get this right, this is amazing. If you don't get this right, there's something else that will happen. If you don't leverage your rights and responsibilities for the sake of other people, listen, 2,000 years ago, here is what he said. This is what's going to happen to you. If you don't do this, you will bite and devour each other. Does that not describe the world that we live in right now? Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. If you decide this whole thing devolves into your individual rights, every man for himself, every woman for herself, every family for themselves, every community for themselves, Paul tells us this is where this is headed. And we look at our country today and we see it. And as long as it's my individual bill of rights and my rights and they crush your rights at the end of the day, we will undermine this experiment and freedom that we've been gifted. Here's the thing. We have more rights than any other nation on the planet. We do. And apart from a moral compass and a divine responsibility and a responsibility to each other as individuals, if we don't take it serious, we we will undermine that freedom that we've been given. We will devour ourselves in a quest to be free. And so the, the, the idea that Paul gives these early Christians, it still applies to us in the country we find ourselves in today, is this. We can do better, and we must choose to do better. And God has called us as Christians to do better because we've been commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've been told to do to others as God has done unto us. And when you understand the freedom that's been given to us and what it costs, then you take that responsibility seriously. Now, one more quote from John Adams, and he's so amazing and an amazing person in history. And he, he writes this letter, and he writes it. And if you guys don't know, here's some fun facts you can stump people with later. Most of you know this. Him and Thomas Jefferson died on the same day. They were friends and enemies, then friends again. And on July 4th, 1826, the same day that Thomas Jefferson died, and the last thing they say that John Adams said before he died was that Jefferson lives because he believed his friend was going to live and and still help the country. But he didn't. He died. 
And so he's writing towards the end of his life this, this letter to future generations, which is us. It's me and it's you. It's future Americans. And, and, and John Adams was a Christian, so it's even to future Christians and people that are going to run this country and lead this country. And, and what are we going to do with this? And he writes this letter, and it's amazing. And he says this. He says, posterity, which means to future generations. You will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. And we don't. We read about it. We see it in movies, but what it cost these men and women was everything. I hope you will make good use of it. And there's the question. Have we made good use of it? If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. So here's the question for us as Americans. On July 4th, our Independence Day, but not just as Americans, as Christians, what are we doing with our freedom? The question is, he says, are we making good use of it? And what I think we have to do is this. We have to do better, and we have to be better. For all of us. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the freedoms that we've been given, the men and women who gave us those freedoms, who fought for those freedoms to have, who fought for those rights and responsibilities. And that's just as citizens. And then we think about our lineage of faith and the men and women who died, who gave of themselves to preserve the hope that we have and the faith that we have. And in many places in the world are still dying to preserve the faith that we have. And then, God, we think about Jesus, and we think about the sacrifice that he gives to give us the freedom that we have. And all of that comes with this idea, God, that we all have so many freedoms and rights in this room, and we are free to do what we want in this country. We're free to do what we want in our life because of you. But, God, there's also a responsibility, and there's a conscience, and there's a knowing what's been given God, my prayer is for us is that we don't take our cue from the people around us or the temperature of our country or our politicians. We take it from what Paul said 2,000 years ago, to love each other, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to understand that if we care more about others as much as we care about ourselves, God, that it only makes things better. And we think about the men and women who have given so much so that we could have the lives that we have and help us to take seriously this freedom that we've been given. Father, we love you. We thank you for the grace that we've been given, the gift of grace that sets us free. We thank you for the love that we receive from you and from the people around us. We thank you for the mercy that you give us every day. We love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray, amen.